turn around and shake hands and fellowship one with another. Let our visitors know how glad we are to have them. Let's get us a songbook, turn on page number 522. 
522, my Savior's love, 522. Set rushers come forward to receive her offering, and as they do so, let me again express my appreciation to all of you that are visiting with us. And we'd appreciate so much if you take just a moment to fill out a visitor's card. If you were given a bulletin as you came in this morning, there's a little tab you can tear off and use that, or you'll find the visitor's cards in the back of the pews. If you'll take a moment and fill that out and drop an offering plate, we'd like to send you some information about the church this week. But we do appreciate our visitors being with us today. And it's good to have Bobby and Angela Waston with us. Would you stand, please? And many of you remember Angela. She's here a number of years ago, uh, Doyle and Joyce Land's daughter, and they're going to Costa Rica. Let's welcome them to the service today. Good to have you with us today. They were in the auditorium class this morning, and we appreciate them being with us. And, of course, Brother Shepherd and Miss Shepherd, we'll introduce them to you in just a few moments. Let's pray now, and you give. And I remind you that your giving enables us to do what we do. This whole month has been our 
Mission Celebration Month as we have just been blessed, as we've been reminded of the past year and challenged about the coming year. And your giving enables us to do what we do for missions. So I encourage you to be faithful. Father, we do thank you today for your blessings. And thank you now, Lord, for all you've done for us. Continue to open our hearts up to what you have for us in this service. In Jesus' name, amen.
not conservative or liberal, however they're defined. It's not about interpretation or the judgment of the mind. It's the opposite of politics, power or prestige. It's about a simple message And whether we believe It's still the cross It's still the blood of Calvary That cleanses sin And sets the captive free It's still the and preach the word to suit our needs. We can justify sweet subtle lies that are wrapped in noble deeds. We can alter our convictions to adapt to social whims, but we cannot change the gospel all the truth contained within, it's still the cross, still the blood of Calvary that cleanses sin and sets the captive free. It's still the name, the name of our Jesus that still has
someone that can help us when we have needs in our life, aren't you? Amen. Someone brought me some chocolate turtles. Amen. Last Sunday morning, I told the story about being up in West Virginia, and uh, I was in a Bible conference with C.L. Roach, and the pastor carried us over to Greenbrier Motel, big fancy place, and we were walking through, and there was this candy place in there, and I said, C.L., let's get us one of them chocolate turtles. They looked real good. And he said, nah, it's too close to dinner. I said, nah, one won't hurt you. So I said, how much are those chocolate turtles? And the lady said, $10 a pound. I said, it is a little close to lunch, ain't it, amen? But somebody brought me some chocolate turtles. Reminds me of a story one time when I needed $1,000, amen? Say amen. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that later, amen. It's a joy to have Brother Clayton Shumpert with us this morning, and he's been here several times, and I have enjoyed his ministry through the years and have always fed from this serve the Lord when he preached. And there are some men that just really God uses to speak to my heart, and this is one of them. And it's a joy to have, have him with us today. As I have said, this month has been our mission celebration month. If you have missed our Wednesday nights, and I know many of you are in other activities on Wednesday night, all the different programs we have going on. But the Wednesday nights have been a real blessing this year as, as we've had different ones in to share their ministry and <clears throat> those that are some uh, going to the field for the first time, then directors and different ones. A wide range of uh, ministries that involve missions. And we always conclude the month by having someone with us just to uh, share with us and challenge us and and to be a blessing to us. And it's always a joy to have Brother Clayton Shumpert back with us. Let's welcome him to our services again this morning. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and as a humble servant of the Lord, I wish to express thanksgiving unto you. And we rejoice in what you're doing for world evangelism around the world. I want you to know that I still believe Jesus is the only Savior of the world. I still believe that He can save an old sinner. I still believe that He can answer prayer. I still believe that He's the hope of America. I still believe that He's the answer for a sin-sick world. And I still believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. I still believe that He is virgin-born. I still believe in the efficacy of His blood atonement upon the cross of Calvary. I still believe there's enough power in one drop of Calvary's blood to save every sinner around this globe who will simply repent and believe and put their faith and trust in Him. Years ago, I was riding through the countryside in Thomaston, Georgia, and I saw a little white country church on the side of the road, and the sign gave the name thankful Baptist Church. The following Thanksgiving, I preached a message about that. And there is a sense in which every church ought to be thankful Baptist Church. God's been so good to us. We're the best fed, the best clothed, the best housed people in this world. And we live like millionaires compared to most people on the face of the earth. 
Now, I'm not saying that to make anybody feel guilty, but instead to be grateful unto God. Because every good and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, and we must lift our heads and praise Him. If you're saved today, Jesus had to do it. He's the only Savior of the world. If you had plenty to eat this Thanksgiving day and every day, it's because a gracious, sovereign Lord allowed it to be. And my, what a Savior. I appreciate Pastor inviting me and permitting me to be with you again. I want to thank you for your faithful support. Um, I'd like to give you something of a report. If we told you all about the work that God is doing, we'd keep you here till midnight. And I believe I could preach till midnight, but I don't promise if you fall out the wind and break your neck to raise you up. <laughs> the Lord's allowed us to build a new church, and that is not the construction, but to get a new church started in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, after the storm, we repaired a church building in Fajardo, Puerto Rico. Um, we have uh, built two churches in Chiapas, Mexico, in Tuxla. That's a, a city of 900,000 people, a very poor people in the southern part of Mexico. We've been able to start a new church in Sitka, Alaska. That's in southeastern Alaska. And we took a group of people and went door-to-door -door visitation, uh, led a clicket Indian to Christ, found prospects, found a place to meet, uh, took um, keyboard, songbooks, Bibles, literature, ready when the missionary got there, everything set up, <laughs> ready for him to have the first service. And that's the first time, to our knowledge, there's been a fundamental Baptist church in Sitka, Alaska. And then projects on and on. We could mention Brooklyn, New York, and Carolina, Puerto Rico. We just built a church in Krasnoyarsk, Siberia. And as far as I know, we made history because that's the first time in this city of one million people, I always thought Siberia was totally desolate and uh, hardly anyone was there. But Krasnoyarsk has a million population. And for the first time in history, there is a Bible-preaching Baptist church that has its own building. They're meeting already inside of that building. And it's the first time ever for that to be the case. And we give thanks to God. We give thanks to those lay people who volunteer and make that possible. And uh, we appreciate your help, your part in seeing that done. I wish to commend you for supporting missionaries. And uh, I believe that certainly that's Bible. The Bible teaches that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, ye shall be witnesses unto me. And uh, the Bible teaches that. It's very clear in Scripture. And we have an unfinished task, and we have an undeniable message, and we have an unlimited power, and we have an unchangeable Bible. The message has not changed. The Messiah has not changed. He still reigns. And uh, we rejoice in this opportunity to be with you once again. And would you open your Bibles with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter number 4, verse 35. And while you're finding your place, I want to mention to you that uh, we need to build a new church auditorium in Okinawa, Japan in the spring. 
and I have some notes about that and some reply cards and uh, if you can help us to do that then we need help and if you cannot go maybe you can help send somebody who can go and uh, the meals and lodging are provided uh, each volunteer needs to pay for a plane ticket and that's about a thousand dollars round trip uh, from Atlanta to Okinawa Japan it's for a US military church uh, Maranatha Baptist Church and uh, we need some help now here's the bottom line I believe that when you go to church you ought to know what was said one time a lady sent her son she was sick and she couldn't go she sent her son and when he came home from church she said well son what did the preacher preach about today and the little fellow said well I don't know he didn't say <laughs> and when you get home today I want you to know what was said amen and here's the bottom line if we don't have volunteers we cannot build that church and so we need volunteers and uh, thank the Lord we have two Mike and Rusty already and uh, the Lord has given us some others but we have a group lined up to go in January and they'll finish their work another team in February they'll finish their part another one in March and another one in April and uh, if one month doesn't suit you maybe the other one will <laughs> And uh, we would like for you to seriously consider that. And uh, I, I, I'll be happy to give you details. I've got pages of notes and information about it. And if you'll help us, we uh, will certainly appreciate that. And I'm glad to see my friend, Brother Ron. He's been to Japan, helped us. He knows uh, something of what I'm talking about. And uh, we'd like for you to notice this passage now, if you will. John chapter 4. And would you go to a very familiar missionary scripture with me, and that is verse 35. If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, you'll notice that the words are in red depicting the direct words of our Lord. And Jesus, verse 35, Jesus of course is speaking, and he said, Say not ye, there are four months, and then cometh harvest, don't you say that? Yes, they say that. Four more months. Is there not four more months and then we'll see the harvest? They had been saying that. Behold, I say unto you, and whenever he speaks, it is authority. The Pharisees often spoke in the abstract, but Jesus spoke in the concrete. The Pharisees would often quote others, but Jesus said, I say unto you. Well, what did he say? Verse 35, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they're white right now, already to harvest. You don't have to wait. It is really hard for us when we've had the best food on earth. Thank God I've had my share too. Our cupboards are full and we leave and get in fine automobiles. It's really hard for us to see a perishing world. Now you don't have to be mean-spirited or you don't have to be a heathen. You just almost have to be human. 
to be raised in an affluent society and have all that we have and at the same time recognize that we have a missionary emergency. And I'd like if I can, God help me, to pull those two together. We are blessed and we believe in missions and yet there remains a missionary emergency. Everything Jesus did was exciting and significant. Anybody who lives in the will of God will not live a boring life. Because life is full of challenges and world evangelism is one of the greatest challenges the world will ever have. This church and every New Testament church has a greater challenge than General Motors or Sony or IBM or all of the biggest companies you can imagine. And that is to get the gospel to six billion people on the face of the earth. I doubt if all of our minds together with all of the strength of our ability to think can really imagine how many six billion people really is. I think I can imagine maybe as far as 10,000, but that's about as far as I can go. I can imagine, I know what a crowd of 10,000 would be, but if you go beyond that, it, I begin to fade away. I, I lose it. I don't know how to count them. I don't know how to size that up. But here is a way for you to possibly think about the many people in this world today. If you started a business the day Jesus was born and you lost a million dollars a day in your business, you started the day Christ was born, you lost a million dollars every day, you'd still have to go another 700 years before you would have lost one billion dollars. And yet the population today is six billion people. Think about the second Sona watch. And if you want to compare a million to a billion, one million seconds is about 14 days, but one billion seconds is 27 years, and the population is six billion. We have something intense about our work. There's a built-in emergency. It's automatic. It's, all, it's an urgent thing. And by the way, whenever a pastor expresses an urgency about ministry, don't fault him for that. I wouldn't give you a nickel for a pastor who wouldn't love to see more sinners saved and more people filling the pews. And I would, uh, as somebody who has a desire to knock out the walls and build and grow and spread till every house is a house of prayer and every sinner has received Jesus as Savior. There's an intensity about our work. You see, because of our philosophy of ministry, we create some of our own problems. For instance, we want the best for the most. And when you put those two superlatives together, there's no higher standard anywhere on the face of the earth. There's not a denomination, there's not a church, there's not a cult, there is not any group anywhere with a higher ethic than the Christian ethic. And there are no standards on the face of the earth religious rapture. We believe in the imminent return of Christ. We are premillennialist. Premillennialism is not just a doctrine, but it is a way of life. I'm excited about the millennium. The Bible says he shall be great. Jesus is great already, but he's coming back just as he said, and he's going to rule this world with a rod of iron. I'll tell you, I don't know what Washington's going to do. I don't know what the Democrats or the Republicans are going to do, but I know what Jesus is going to do. He's coming back for his own, 
and he's going to reign in this earth just as he said. He came the first time as he said, he'll come the second time just as he said. And if it's true that we could be raptured at any moment, and that is our doctrine, we believe there are no signs preventing the rapture of the church. I believe that the valley of dry bones are beginning to take shape, Ezekiel's vision. I believe Daniel's ten toes are in order. I believe the stage is set. And you and I must understand the second coming of the Lord in its two phases, in the rapture and the revelation. And the rapture is seven years before the revelation. And the signs in the Bible are primarily for the revelation of Christ. And therefore you could say it's seven years sooner than you think. And there is nothing preventing the rapture of the church. I mean, before you breathe, your next breath could be the trumpet sound. And that is the blessed hope that throbs in the bosom of every believer. And the Bible says, lift up your eyes, uh, your redemption, draw it now. We're closer home now than we've ever been before. And if it is true that Jesus could come at any moment, then we would be the last generation of Christians to live before the rapture. Now I think it's a fair point to say that regardless of the time in which a Christian lives, we should be responsible in an irresponsible age. If you and I lived in the day of Abraham, we ought to be responsible Christians. If we lived in the day of Moses, we ought to do what the Bible says. But surely does it not make common sense that if you knew Jesus was coming, it'd make a difference in your life. I asked a man one time this question. He had spent 32 years with the Department of Justice and lived in Washington, worked in Washington. He was in the in, inside, and he had a lot of inside information. I asked this question, what is the greatest president that you've ever served under? He served under five. And I said, who is the worst? What's the worst administration? What is the best? And without doubt, he named the worst. And your imagination has already answered the question. Excuse me. <laughs> I said, what about the best? He said, the best administration under which we've ever served was the Reagan administration. President Reagan has been a very popular president. And there's a lot of public sympathy for the president, uh, the President Reagan with his physical problems now. But imagine this with me. I'm taking for granted that you like him. Suppose you were to get a call and he said, I want to come to your house and visit you. Would it make any difference? Would you change anything? Would you arrange for some painting? Maybe a new set of clothes? Maybe you'd pick up the etiquette book, brush up a little bit on etiquette? Wouldn't you do some preparation? It just makes sense, does it not? That if we know Jesus could come before you bat your eye again, that we ought to have some responsibility on our shoulders. We could be the last generation of Christians before the rapture. I stand before you with heavy a heavy burden and a heavy load. I, I feel the weight of the masses who have not yet heard. 
I mean a day when we have 747s and CD-ROM, cassette tapes and gigabytes galore. And yet, the truth of it is, half of the world's population has not yet heard a clear presentation of the gospel. It's fair to balance it and say there's been a lot of rejected light. I know that, I believe that, but yet I'm here to promise you this is not fabricated, this is not something that a missionary makes up and he, he tries to appeal to your emotion. This is fact. I believe without any question there are 240,000 towns and villages in Europe and there is not a gospel witness. And uh, if we're the last generation, then surely it is a challenge to us. Hurry up, there's an urgency. Emergencies don't wait. Did you know it's law when you see the ambulance, the fire truck, you hear the sirens, the lights are flashing, you're supposed to pull over, get out of the way, let them go. They have a job to do. And so it is with every child of God. Let us be busy about the Father's business. And listen, please, if you're going to do what's right about world evangelism, do it now. If you're going to witness to an old sinner, do it now. If you're going to give an offering, do it now. If you're going to utter a prayer, do it now. I believe that surely we have a great challenge on our hands. The second coming of Christ is a caution. I think I better behave myself. It's also a comfort, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. I don't know about you. I'm not that old, but I got a lot of miles on me. I've been around the block. And the older I get, the more I think about the other side. And it's good to stand up on your tiptoes once in a while and peep over into the portals of glory. Did you know the older you get, the more saints you have over there, the more family who have died in the Lord, more on the other side. My father died nine years ago in May, and I miss my dad. I'd love to sit down 30 minutes and be able to talk he was a great fisherman. He could catch fish when nobody else could catch fish. I miss him. Oh, I wish I could go fishing one more time. My wife and I have two little ones over there. You better believe there's a yearning. And do you see it, church? It's easy for us to get satisfied at ease in Zion. I'm telling you, bless the Lord, God's been good to us. We, we're dressed up in the finest of clothes. We wear designer clothes and uh, all kinds of things like that. And listen, it's hard for us to get under the emergency plan, for, for us to get in gear to think about it being an urgent matter. It's easy for us to just to be entertained and drift along and float along, but I pray unto God the Lord would keep us fired up and stirred up because there is a world waiting to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We could be the last generation. Here's reason number two. America is on a course which will bring her downfall and weaken our missionary endeavors. Did you know that 92 cents out of every missionary dollar comes out of the U.S.? Did you know that 90% of all missionary blood is American blood? And God has signally blessed America. And there is no nation in the history of the world that has the heritage that the United States has had. And listen, God has not blessed America so we could pay a ball player a million dollars a year and more to play ball. 
I used to think it was awful to play a, pay a ball player more than you paid the President of the United States, but I've reconsidered my position on that lately. Did you know that America for the last two terms has voted for pocketbook, forgot about morals, forgot about character, and if we're not careful, we'll do it a third time, and we are just one generation away from paganism and heathendom, and the official religion of the nation, it seems to be humanism. America is on a course which will turn us into materialism, and materialism will hurt the cause of world evangelism. In other words, it's possible for the American lifestyle to stop the missionary dollars. Did you know that every year America spends more money? The Americans spend more, not Christians necessarily, but American people at large spend more money to buy chewing gum than they spent for, for missions. I'm ashamed to tell you. It's embarrassing to say that. Did you know that for years now we've spent more money to buy pet food than we've spent for missions? Now, don't go home and shoot your poodle. <laughs> hey, I don't think you have to make a choice between having a pet and giving to missions. God has fixed it. I believe you can do both. If you have a pet, you ought to take care of it. I'm not, I'm not preaching against chewing, chewing gum and I'm not preaching against dogs. I, I wish I could stay home long enough to have a dog. I miss having a dog. I, I've had some of the best dogs anybody's ever had in the world. When I was a boy, I had a bulldog, big old fat head, big as a hog, big sloppy jaws. He was bred to fight. He'd rather fight than eat. I mean, he was, he was ordained before the foundation of the world to kill cats. He had a Ph.D. in cat killing. That dog wasn't saved. He was a 100% bulldog. Never had the shampoo, never brushed his teeth. He was just dog. He was a fine one, too. I wish I had him now. We'd clean up Chattanooga. One day I saw my neighbor's cat come tipsing across. <laughs> I wasn't saved. I'm saved now. At least I'd turn my head. <laughs> I don't hate cats either. I love to hear the little diesel motors run, but... Yeah. Here's the point. We need to be sure that our priorities are in order. Here it is. If you spend more money on your pet poodle than you give for the cause of Christ, somebody's warped your value system. Huh? Is it automatically a sin to have a bass boat? <laughs> oh. Is it automatic, just outright, just, just nail it down? It's a, automatic. It's a sin. Huh? No, I don't believe it's automatically a sin to have a bass boat. Take me with you. Let me go. But I'll tell you what, I'd hate to stand before my Lord. Having spent more money for that than I invested for souls around the world. See where I'm going? Priority, value system, that's the key. That's the thing. It's not a sin to have the things money can buy as long as you don't lose the things money cannot buy. And money cannot buy salvation and money cannot buy peace. Money cannot buy a ticket to heaven. We become the greatest debtor nation on the face of the earth. I don't understand some things. I'm not an economist. 
and there's news about a huge surplus, and yet we're still the greatest debtor nation on the face of the earth. And uh, somebody maybe can explain that to me, but I, I, don't, I don't understand that. And uh, America is on a course with her character and her morals and her lifestyle that will sooner or later become detrimental to the cause of missions if it's not already that case already. And then I want to mention to you the third reason why I believe we have the urgency of missions, and that is the vastness of the need. It's overwhelming. Did you know that if you had to move to some of the big cities of the world, I'm thinking about the largest 25 cities of the world as far as population. You can list them. I'll give you a list if you'd like. If you had to move, now we wouldn't want to, but if you had to do it, did you know that if you had to move to Bombay or Jakarta or Peking, Beijing, China, or Tokyo, you could look all over those cities and not find a church like this church. Now go on. I challenge you to refute it. And it's easy for us to come to a church like this where you're fed the scriptures and people love you and you hear the gospel message in song. It's preached from the pulpit. And if you get sick, there's people to care for you. I don't know what the complex is worth, but as a member, you, you have part of all of the beautiful complex and the facilities. If you young people want to be married, they can come to a beautiful wedding altar. You have all of this as a member. It's at your fingertips. And yet if you're not careful, you'll fold your arms with a critical spirit. And if they don't sing Amazing Grace in your key, you'll just run down the street to another church. Uh-uh. Oh, 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 oh. Oh. May God help us, the vastness of the need. Mexico City with its 28 million. If any of you ever been there, perhaps some of you have traveled to that place. It is incalculable. It's indescribable. I, I've seen little boys, I felt so sorry for them on the streets of Mexico City, little old kids running around and, and uh, some of them would be flame eaters and they would light a a torch of some sort and swallow a sword and they would put cigarette lighter fluid on that sword and make it flame some kind of butane and they would hold their throats they had learned how to do it and put that flaming sword down their throats and they don't live to be very old that's common entertaining anything a peso here just enough to barely keep them alive living on the streets that story can be repeated one right after the other. And listen, I realize it's a little difficult. We have just celebrated Thanksgiving. We have just, uh, we have just involved ourselves in one feast right after another. And the truth of it is, we eat good every day. Somebody say amen. amen. And it's a little hard for us to get in gear when we think about the great needs of the people.
the vastness of the need. But then here's number four. Why do we have a missionary emergency and why is there an urgency about the work of world evangelism? It's because of the nature of the need. You know, there's some things you can afford to forget. What if you forget if you like chocolate or vanilla? It's not a big deal. Suppose you turn senile and you forget. That's <laughs> uh, no problem. There's some things it's okay to forget. When I was a boy, my sister had a skillet on the stove, and she turned the stove on. She had to see about some homework. She was going to run to the neighbor and get an encyclopedia, and uh, she stayed longer than she should have. The skillet started flaming, and it almost burned the house down. And someone had already called the fire trucks because in the distance you could already hear the sirens. And a neighbor, and I can take you to the spot, I guess at least a quarter of a mile away heard some of the children scream. And he knew it was not a play scream. He knew it was a different sound. And he got in his car. He was already there. Somehow I've had the presence of mind to take a towel and wrap it around the end of that skillet and sling it out the back door, and that's what kept the house from burning down. Now, when you leave your house, you need to remember to turn off the stove. Some things you cannot afford to forget. And you know something we must not bypass? The soul's of mankind. Man is made, made up of body, soul, and spirit. We're a trinity. We're like a three-legged stew. That stew will not stand on any two legs. It takes all three. And the most important part of us is the spiritual part. And if you help a man socially, that's good. If you help him educationally, that's good. If you help him physically, that's good. But if you don't help him spiritually, you have not ultimately helped him. Amen. And the only way to help anybody is to get them to Jesus. Jesus is the only Savior of the world. And I don't believe a person can go to heaven by believing in Buddha or Confucian. I don't believe a person can get to heaven by believing in Allah. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is the only way from earth to heaven. Years ago, John Rice, as a young evangelist, had a big tent, seat 2,000 people, and he was having a, an evangelistic meeting, and people were being saved. And it was a long invitation because people kept coming. And he was totally exhausted. And the tent was put up out in a country place where there was an old country well close by, the invitation ended close to 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. They started their service at 10.30. And that preacher, John Rice, whom some of you know, stood with his coat off, perspiration all over his body, standing at that old well to get a drink of water, totally exhausted. And a 14-year-old, barefooted, freckle-faced country boy came to him and he pulled on his shirt and he said, Mr. Rice, is it too late 
for me to be saved? <laughs> and John Rice looked down at him and said, No, son, the doors of God's mercy are still open. And that boy was wonderfully saved by the old well. I want you to know that the doors of his mercy are still open right now. And if there should be anybody in this service, maybe there's a member, visitor, somebody slipped into this service, whoever you are in the balcony, the back row, the front row, whoever, whatever your background, I want you to know that we have a loving Lord. We have a wonderful Savior who is all that he's ever claimed to be. And he'll save the uttermost, all who come unto God by him, come just as you are. He'll receive you. He'll take you just as you are. He'll save you because he promised that he would. And you need to find an all to hear and lift your eyes in faith towards him and simply say, dear Lord, I'm an old sinner and I want Jesus to be my Savior. And I believe that he'll do what he promised that he would do. There may be somebody here who's been playing along with life and you need to get real and get serious about it and we invite you to come to this altar and let God speak to you and help you. Then there may be somebody who's been hurt and discouraged and off on the sideline. I want you to know that the Lord knows how to lift you up and give you strength when there seems to be no way to take another step and he specializes in doing the impossible. Maybe you need to join this church. Maybe you need to hold hands with these uh, other members so you can send more missionaries around the world. Maybe you need to make that spiritual decision. I pray that you will. Would you stand with me, please, every person standing, every head bowed, every eye closed as we pray. Our Father, we come in Jesus' hallowed name to thank you. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for sustaining us. Thank you for satisfying the longing of our heart. And I pray, Spirit of God, you'd work in every heart. Oh, dear Lord, don't let us leave here today until you've done business with us. I pray, Heavenly Father, as we sing the invitation song, that you'll draw these dear precious ones to thyself. We thank you for this church, this pastor, this people. We give thee praise, we worship and adore thee. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Our Father, we thank you that you daily load us with benefits. And help us, Lord, as one beggar to tell the other beggars where we found the bread. Jesus, the bread of life. Holy Spirit of God, move among our hearts just now, we humbly ask. In his hallowed name we pray. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Christians are praying. And many of you who need to join these are already here. Would you leave your place wherever you are? The front row, the back, the balcony, the right side, the left. Member, visitor, man, woman, boy, girl. They're personal workers here to pray with you. Would you take Jesus? Would you trust him? Come on. Oh, God's grace is sufficient. Amen. Come on. Christians are praying. Hearts are open. The Lord knows just what you need, and he knows how to help you. He knows how to lift the fallen. He knows how to encourage his own. There's nothing too hard for God. I pray that you'll come. Are you doing right? 
about world evangelism, the work of missions? Is your value system like it ought to be? Every person here has a priority list. It's probably not in writing, but it's based on our daily practice. Oh, I pray that you'll come. Just obey the Lord. That's all we ask. We're going to sing the first verse of our invitation song. And as you hear the song, I pray that you'll come. Join the others who are here. Come on right now. Don't tarry. Come, please.